We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Bucks won a f***ing NBA championship. Yeah! What? What? He tries to take a pulse, baby. Watching that basketball game, like, caused health problems for me. Boogie hates racism and Chris Paul. And who cannot get on board with that platform? If I've learned a lot, this, I, I'm not going to say it. That sounds too bad. That was good. Roll on. No, 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 no. The Bucks do win it all. Pat Connaughton's numbers should be in the rafters. Hey there. Hello. Welcome to the Eurostep Podcast Network post-game one uh, podcast reaction to Milwaukee somehow, despite being huge underdogs, potentially getting swept, uh, pretty definitively winning game one against the Boston Celtics in Boston, in the garden of all places. I'm Ty Winnish, one of the hosts of the Eurostep Podcast, joined as always by my wonderful co-host Rohan Kadi and... The bold predictions king himself, Adam McGee, who absolutely nailed it of the Winning Six podcast and the Cruising for a Bruising podcast. Fellas, I mean, pretty obvious answer today, but how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it was a it was a game one for the Bucks, so that's already not in their favor. It was against the already champion Boston Celtics, again, not in their favor. Uh, it was coming off some rest for the Bucks, again, not in their favor. They won by double digits. How can you not be feeling good? I feel great. It's it's so special to get to witness a Cinderella story like this. <laughs> True Rocky stuff from the ultimate underdog, the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks, who uh, rose the occasion and yeah, did exactly what I thought they would do. And I I do. I mean, we won't get too much into what everyone thinks, and there is a long way to go in this series. Honestly, nothing about what I thought of the series has changed. I think the Celtics are good. I just think the books are better. But I am already just kind of reflecting on it. It is surprising that so many people just, you know, forgot about the books. What makes the books the books? Why their defense has allowed them to be not just, you know, obviously this wasn't a great defensive season, but we're looking at the whole Budenholzer era, what the, the kind of signature of this team has been. And the one thing that no one is talking about, Chris, out, we've talked about it, but outside of that in a national perspective is this defense actually gets better. And while everyone's focusing on Boston's defense, the books are going to the books are going to get the best someone in that department. And, oh, guess what? They've got the best player on the planet. Yeah, I think 
in in some fairness to everyone, the idiots, but in fairness to them, not really idiots, but you know, the Bucks had not shown that defensive gear really even in the playoffs that often. It was more fits and spurts, and I do think there was some fairness in questioning would they be able to do it over a whole game. I also think there's a lot of shiny new toy syndrome in NBA coverage of like, oh, the Celtics have been so good all year. They're the new toy. We don't care about the Bucks anymore. It helps that Boston is a much bigger media market and that Boston people saturate all major outlets. And Milwaukee, that is not true. That is not the case. But that there's also that that happens. The NBA loves the shiny new toy at, at, at all times possible. Sometimes even more than their kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, correct. But, I thought I'd get one of those in later, but that was impressively that, fast off the micro. That was good. But the defense... On that, on that though, Ty, on the shiny new toy syndrome. Sure. I don't think the books were ever the shiny new toy like that. No, of course not. They're based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They're I, never shiny. Exactly. Shining. So so it's it's not even just that. It's it's yeah. not just that. And that is, it's like, uh, what do the books have to do to get the benefit of the doubt is a question you kind of are. What, what does Giannis have to do on that? That's a question you see a lot. But more than that, it's like, what What do the books have to do just to get people like consistently believing in them, excited by them? You saw a lot of, wow, Bud coached a really good game today. It's like, yeah, welcome. Like, <laughs> we're not been? stuck in 2014. Like, yeah. things have changed on many, many fronts. And all of those things have pointed to the books being a really, really formidable team. I, It is really bizarre that it takes games like this that people forget about it until it happens. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's the books. So shiny new toy syndrome, sure. But the books never got that. Never, never like this. And the Celtics, you're right with the media thing. And then it's also the Celtics being the Celtics as like a franchise and the iconography of Boston Green and White in the playoffs. There's a lot of people just buy into there. They don't look all that different to previous Celtic teams I've seen today, though. The real question, does it matter if no one ever believes in the Bucks as long as no. they keep yeah. So I almost kind of prefer it. Just it, this it way. just seems ridiculous though. Yeah, it it seems like but it's satisfying to see. Every single time it's satisfying to see. I, I just think it's it's like it's bad for a neutral fan. It's yeah. bad. Um some of the the play by play and not by a bad crew in the first quarter on ABC. Like a lot of people pointed it out. It was like, oh, the Celtics defense is phenomenal. And, oh, the books just keep you know, they keep turning over us all down to the Celtics defense and flip things the other side. We're in here in the same kind of uh, conversation as forthcoming. And that's just, you're not serving the viewer. You're not making people smarter basketball fans. And you're not doing as much for the product. At this point, the casual sports fan should be viewing the books as something much greater than they are. And for the NBA to be at the, the kind of the peak of the sporting conversation, you need people to know what Giannis is doing and what his team can do and be tuning in every time to take to the floor. So that's that's the only part of it that actually bothers me. It's it's fun when it comes out the other way, and it's like, oh, well, just going to prove them wrong over and over again. But ultimately, I think it's, it's kind of bad for the game if people are going to keep pretending the books aren't this absolute juggernaut. Juggernaut's a fun word. I like that. It's, I don't know how else you could describe them. So I think the thing that makes them a juggernaut that we need to start with here is defense because all night long, Milwaukee's defense absolutely suffocated the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum shoots six for 11. If you look up and down, every Celtic who played outside of garbage time literally had a tour line 
stat line. Nobody had a, a shooting split that was not a potential tour date uh, because they were not making enough shots. Uh, Tatum, 6 for 11. Horford, 4 for 11. Time Lord, 3 for 6. Jalen Brown, 4 for 13. Marcus Smart, 3 for 11. Derek White, 2 for 6. Grant Williams, 2 for 6. Peyton Pritchard, who really thinks he's Grayson Allen, but really is not Grayson Allen, 2 for 8. No one had a good shooting game. I mean, the best one was Time Lord, who, again, like made half his shots, but only took six shots. And the ones he made were, were the kind of vertical, you know, lobs over Brook that we kind of expected to be there for Boston from time to time. Clearly not enough to swing the game. You know, there was just nothing in the paint. And the Celtics had to rely on threes. They had some good looks, a lot of less good looks. And clearly Milwaukee just is not that afraid of Jalen Brown, not afraid at all of Marcus Smart. Maybe not afraid enough of Derek White, who did shoot 9% last series and then made two of three threes. But I don't know. It didn't really cost them all that much. I mean, the Bucks are just saying this. We, we've seen them do this how many times? If you don't score at the rim, you won't win, no matter how well you shoot from everywhere else. They, the Celtics didn't really have a chance to win in this game, and that held true for Milwaukee, thanks to some of the best Brook Lopez stuff we've ever seen. Yeah, the defense is a good call. Also, like, Adam, I know you tweeted about this, but uh, – I don't think the Celtics players really know much about the Bucs at all. Like Al, say. Horf- Al Horford saying after the game, it was clearly a point of emphasis that Milwaukee wanted to attack the rim. Like, yeah. Uh, His quote, played, they, they were meeting our guys before. at the rim. It was clearly a point of emphasis. Yeah, every night, Al. Yeah, you've played this team in the playoffs before. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing here? This is what this team is built on. I don't know what people were expecting from this Bucks team. Maybe consider, I, okay, in fairness, like Brooke Lopez missed a lot of the regular season. They had to deviate from their normal base drop scheme, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, cool. Did you watch last series? Did you watch when Brooke Lopez came back during the regular season? This is who the Bucks are. They are going to stifle you at the rim. They're going to stifle you inside the arc. They're going to shoot, let like poor shooters take above the break threes. And then they're going to win. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. Brooke is just not someone you want to go and attack. And even less so that if you're focusing on trying to find a way around Brooke, Giannis is going to come and just smother you from the weak side. And you rightfully listed off, you know, the books weren't afraid of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart. They were, they were really just happy to let the Celtics do what they wanted. That was the complete opposite then (laughs) on the other end of the floor where you know those guys those guys were afraid of driving to the rim like Jalen Brown is held maybe a factor into that didn't want to go to the rim Jason Tatum didn't want to go to the rim I don't blame them I wouldn't want to go either if I was playing the books but I, I do think for the Celtics point of view that's just going to have to change you're going to have to embrace that know that you are going to find it tough there but rely on You'll get some points, you'll get some free throws, you'll get key books defenders in foul trouble. Like Brooke having one personal foul, you've got to attack him. You've got to attack him and make him beat you, which he is more than capable of doing with his defense. But if you're Boston, you cannot let Brooke Lopez only have one personal foul because essentially at a certain point, you're just so afraid of him and so reluctant to go into the paint. So it is interesting that we're back to to seeing the books drop, just befuddle a team like this and them absolutely dominate. It is a while since the books have been able to play like this. That also probably helps their case. Um, certainly in 
Emi Adoka's time as a head coach of the Boston Celtics. This has not really been the books that he will have seen. Um, not that he'll be oblivious to what the books have been doing by any means, but it, it is a very different thing to what we've seen from the books. And when they can do this, and we talked about this last season, the playoffs, it's when they have the drop as a reliable base game, they also get better at switching it up yep, and, and, and changing and giving you different options. They get so much more dialed in. It causes havoc with the, the opposing offense. And that is something that if I was the Celtics or honestly beyond that, if I was any other team in the East looking on any other team in the NBA, I would be noting and I'd be a little bit concerned about it because if you allow the books to bring drop back into play and are executing it as well as they are, the options open up for them and <laughs> it becomes a nightmare to, to get through this defense. Like this is something we have seen. I know you mentioned, Ty, yeah, there have been times where it hasn't been there and it certainly feels like a while. But this is a staple. Like this is, in large part, how they won a championship last year. It's just those games got ugly. Those series got ugly because the books can go and they can play better defense than you. And then on the other end, they're gonna find ways to score because they've got Giannis. And it's it's been there for so long. It's the core part of their identity under Bud. And as for Brooke, we've talked about him for years. He is the linchpin. He is the linchpin of the defense. Giannis is the defensive player of the year. That's the, that's the way that always kind of uh, works its way out, that the credit goes to Giannis. But the guy who holds the defense together, who enables Giannis to be the best version of himself, is Brook Lopez. And with Brook, I mean, we should probably pause to be like, isn't it incredible that he looks as healthy as he does? It's insane. Like, that, that's a key thing here. And... We certainly got on the book's case about not telling anyone anything and their handling of his injury. The one thing I'll give them big props for is they dealt with the timeline well. They didn't rush him back. They made sure that he was in the right condition when he got back. Uh, Rowan, I don't want to, I don't want to drag too much of this back up. What was the timeline? <laughs> I don't know, but whatever it was, it worked. I mean, it some more transparency would have been good. Who knows? But it could have been like five months ahead, like over the timeline. Who knows? He he came back and uh, I can't remember. It might have been like his first media availability when he returned to practice. And he said he feels like in the best better. shape of his life. Yeah, he said like, better. He feels better, better than before better the injury. Yeah. He looks it. Like yeah. that's real. That's not just something he was saying. I think the, the time off was good. I mean, obviously dealing with the, the back injury and getting the surgery was bad, but I think the time off really did him some good. I mean, we've talked about the insane amount of miles on all the bucks, and I think Brooke being the oldest, the biggest of all of them, getting him a few months where he didn't have to go through and grind through all these games might be paying dividends. I want to go back to, you know, they need to, the Celtics need to attack Brooke to get some fouls. Do they have the personnel to successfully drive into Brooke Lopez? Probably not. Is Jalen the closest who doesn't look healthy and just is not really doesn't really seem to be fitting into their offense all that cohesively right now? I think is he their best attacker off the dribble? I know Tatum can do a lot, but I think actually attacking getting into the rim, I feel like it's Jalen. But neither one of them looked nearly good enough. And then obviously you get on the list of the rest of the Celtics. No way in hell the rest of these guys are getting comfortable going right at Brooke Lopez. Again, Tom Lord know. Get, For, get former Buck Luke Cornett. Do some damage. Out of the eight, eight Celtics played more than five minutes. Four of them did not make a two. Boston made 10 twos, which is the lowest the Celtics have ever made 
in a game. I, I think ever. It might be playoffs. I think ever, which it's is crazy. Ever. They've been around since like before a lot of the population was allowed to play in the league. And this is the lowest that they've ever made. I mean, they used to like use a slingshot to put the basketball in the hoop and they've never made less twos than this. It's pretty crazy. Um, this, this was defensive domination by, by Brooke Lopez for sure. Some guys, uh, I'll be honest, I have no shame to say this. Some guys I literally did not know existed before this game ended up in the game for the Celtics. And I know we talked not, about that. grinded talked, Malik Fitz tape? Yeah, I, I do was like, not who is know that? who Malik Fitz is. <laughs> I do not know who Sam Hauser is. Really? Nick Stauskas, uh, I could not believe, was still in the league. Yeah, Hauser's a Marquette guy, so that's why. Oh, apologies to all of our Marquette listeners. Apologies to you, Rohan, but... Uh, I do not know who Sam Hauser is. So, but that's that's also when you talk about do they have the personnel to do it? One of the things we touched on before the series is if the Celtics are forced to adjust and it doesn't work for them playing big like they want to play, their depth, their backcourt options are terrible. They they don't have the players to pivot into going a different direction against this Bucks team. I mean, they've got one option, the Katerik White. And other than that, it is a tough, tough scene. And even if he was brought in, it gets it gets much, much trickier. Um, in terms of the Horford and Williams situation, like, did they get what they wanted out of those guys? Maybe, although I, I don't Horford really feel. They yeah, they were. They got a lot of fouls out of Horford. I I don't know. I like. We'll get on to Giannis uh, a little bit later. I personally think this Giannis game is better than people are generally giving it credit for. I've seen a lot of tweets of like, yeah, he didn't even play well. well it wasn't a great game. And I quite strongly disagree with that because of how he managed to go about it. But in terms of getting so many looks at Horford and what Horford can do, Ty, you had spoken this already. It's like, yeah, Giannis figured this puzzle out years ago. And now Giannis is older. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's smarter. He's more skilled. He's more experienced. Al Horford is also older in a different way um, where he's more experienced, but all of those other things are possibly trending downwards at this point. And it, it shows there it's, that's not even a knock on Horford. It's just like, really? Like that's, that's the answer for Giannis. I think they're going to have to look at alternatives to that. But once you're looking at alternatives to that, then, well, where does Horford fit and where does Robert Williams fit and where does your balance come for the Celtics? It was always going to be interesting who was going to win game one and force adjustments first. But I think it's a really tough spot for the Celtics, particularly with the concerns over Jalen Brown and now what, what happened to Marcus Smart in this game too. Yeah, I think, yeah, the concern level for like Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, it's like, uh, I don't know if they're going to necessarily like go away from Al Horford. At, even if like Giannis starts finishing better, I don't know if they're going to be like, oh, what do we do with them? They're still like, like you said, there's not really any other option that they can go to. They're not going to move him off of that assignment. They're probably just going to change things around, uh, around Al. So they have to, like, so the other Bucks have to adjust a little bit. But yeah, what if they, I think could they start Al at the five, and then bring in like Grant? Yeah, and I, I think that's something worth exploring. I thought. I thought Grant was better than a lot of their other guys in terms of just giving really tough competitive looks, and it would make a lot of sense. What that's doing for your offense is tough. I know he's had a good shooting season, and he was good from deep in this game. 
Um, but again, it's not ideal. Like the the kind of the composition of your lineup is not going to be anything close to a perfect solution to beating the books or hanging with the books. Also, you like, would think that really would then tip rebounding further toward the box. I mean, Robert yeah. Williams's energy on the boards was was very noticeable when he played. For sure. I, I just think there's a like when you look at the you could stretch it to like if you want to go eight man rotations, which the books are very content in being in an eight man rotation given the options that are available. And the Celtics have no choice and should probably have been only seven deep given the performance of players uh, for them today. Books have the better guys. <laughs> like they pretty simply have the better guys. And we touched on ahead of the series. It's like, for as much as everyone was crowning the Celtics, the path to the Celtics winning this series has to go through Jason Tatum proving he is like a transcendent talent, one of the absolute top three best players in the NBA. And we've been waiting for it for years and I'm still waiting. Like he could be capable. Maybe that's yet to come, but it's not like, oh, if that comes, the Celtics will win this easy. No, the Celtics need that to happen or they're going to lose this series. Like, that is essential. Jalen Brown looking much better than he did today. That is essential for the Celtics to win this series because Giannis is the best player in the series. And the gap, like, from what Tatum and Brown were doing to Drew, I mean, <laughs> Drew was better than both of them today. So there's not, we're not even talking about a gap. Brooke and the way he's contributing. Uh, this was not a great Bobby game, but it was a good Bobby game. Like, I think better is probably to come from him in the series. Grayson had another good game without having to really press in any way, go out of his way. I thought Pat was very solid. Javon was very solid. Like, I think West if, you, matches, look at it, if like, you look at it right now, like if you line up one through eight for both teams, at least in this game, like so far in this series, the Bucks won all eight of the spots. Like there's no, the Bucks' first best player was better. Their second best player was better. You go down the list. Yeah. It's not, I think they, they had a clean sweep. And obviously if you keep doing that, it's going to be really hard to lose the series like that. That I think it's not going to stay that way. I don't think. I think we'll see games where guys like Jalen Brown and, and Al Horford step up and are better than their Bucks counterparts. But for Boston, they need one of those games in a hurry. I mean, that's the the issue of having home court and then losing game one. There's an immense load of pressure going into game two when the roles were reversed and the Bucks lost that game one with home court against Boston. I remember going in, it was like, oh my God, like this game can be a disaster. You have a really yep. bad shooting game. Your best player just ha- can't get it together. Somebody gets in foul trouble. Like the margins then are like, you know, that game can get really tight really fast. And it's like, you, you need to go take that one now if you're Boston. So I don't envy their position, but I'm glad they're in it. Well, lose on lose on Tuesday and they're fighting off the brooms. Yeah. Like that that's i'm not i, I see and your some eyes are people are not tweeting i'm some not pret- oh, too early. way way too Let's, early way, 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 way too early one. yeah uh was <laughs> on top of all the twitter reaction tonight uh but that is that's gotta be like you're playing with that desperation you cannot go back to the defending champions home down to nothing if you're the Boston celtics like it's it is over like you're you're putting yourself in a position where if that happens, you're just you're staring down the barrel of a gun. Nothing good is there for you. And like with for with smart, for example, I don't know if we're gonna kind of talk through the game in a kind of something closer to a 
a play by play or a beat by beat, but like Smart's injury and what seemed like a dislocated Which shoulder. One? That was well, that's the first also time true. he went out, he came back in with two different things, and a different knee got hurt later when he went down when when Drew was backing him up. The Celtics, somebody tweeted this and made it funnier than like a team getting banged up should be. But it's like they tried to match Giannis's physicality and learned real quick this is not like defending KD. This is a lot different than defending KD and the toll it takes when you're trying to match that guy. And I do want to disagree with something you said earlier, Adam, and I think this is kind of going into a more of the blow-by-blow stuff. But I do think they were afraid of Tatum in particular. And I think this is like before the series I kind of mentioned that it might be like a cutting the head off of the snake deal with the Celtics. Like if you can limit Tatum – I'm not sure they have like Caruso. It's like Caruso in the last series. Oh my goodness! Um, But I I think that was the approach the Bucks took, though. Like I think Tatum saw extra bodies most of the time. He was the one that they would flock to and leave really anybody else on on Boston's team open. And I think it worked, and they're going to keep doing that. I mean, I don't know when he made his first field goal. I think it was the second quarter. He made two shots from two. He made four threes, and a couple of them were like falling away to the side over two guys. And I remember tweeting like. If that's your offense, you'll never win a series. Like, you can't subsist on those kind of shots. So I think that's the plan is like, hey, we're going to make Tatum's life hell, and we're going to see if anybody else can step up enough to beat us. And game one, it was like, no, if, if we can hold down Tatum, there's not enough else there. I don't, I don't think that's fearing him, though. I think they, they treated him like the Celtics' best player, which he is. They game plan for him. I, I don't think they were being caught scrambling out of control for most of the game when the ball was swinging to him. There was no panic setting in because the ball is going to Jason Tatum. Ultimately, they are prepared to live with what Jason Tatum will do, but they also have a plan in place that's going to make it as difficult as possible for him. I mean, that's for, that's where I'm getting at with that. It's not like they're they're looking at the Celtics. They're like, yeah, we're just not going to bother double teaming anyone. And Bud's being like, you know what? Let's go ten deep. Uh, like there there is none of that. And there was it was interesting. I think there were some comments. Um, I kind of, it might have been from the broadcast where it came from actually, where Bud had talked before the game. It's like, yeah, we're just straight to it. There's, there is no messing around. It's best players on the court, exactly kind of how he would aim to manage his rotation if this series went to game seven. He was doing from game one, which that is also, that is a development for the books. And, it just showed generally whether you want to go to Bud or you want to go to individual players. One of these teams has been true before and the other hasn't. Like one of these teams has come true wars against the best teams in the league and they have got to finish the season with a parade and standing on stage with the trophy in their hands, knowing what it takes to get there. The other hasn't. And this is, as we said, coming into the series, it's like, are the Celtics real? If the Celtics are real. This is it. You've got to win. Like, because if you're not going to beat the books out of Chris Middleton, you're not real. We can all go back to being like, this team is is a way off. They need Jason Tatum to really jump to another level, Jalen Brown, or they need to make some other pickups somewhere else to to improve their roster. But if this version of the team is ready, like, this is your series to go and make a statement. It's there for you to make a statement if you want. And the books just looked in a completely different league to them in game one. Doesn't mean it can't change. But that is not what, as a Boston fan or the Celtic staff, you would have wanted to see because the score, the score kind of flattered the Celtics a little bit. I felt overall, you know, the books had a lot more control over this. 
you mentioned before we started recording, Ty, you were briefly sweating at one point in the fourth quarter, as in, are the books going to let this slip where it gets a little bit uncomfortable? I honestly wasn't, particularly once they got through the Giannis goes to the bench at the end of the third quarter with foul trouble. Once they came through that with flying colors, I was like, yeah, this is this is a pretty comfortable books win. Like, <laughs> it was a 12-point game with 90 seconds to go. And Yudoka pulled his starters. That's that's pretty unusual in the playoffs in this scenario where usually at that point you'd be like, okay, let's try to make a couple of quick trees. And then all, all of a sudden, you know, there's some tension to this game. You never know what happens. I was a little bit surprised at that too. I thought that was interesting. Just ask, uh, just ask Doc Rivers about that. Oh, that was, I think, the opposite the last great thing. coach the Boston Celtics have had. Which one say? Oh. Brad um, Stevens, he saw enough. <laughs> oh, that was perfect, dude. perfect. It was a big three by. I think it was Wes. I think it was Wes hit a three. There was like seven it, minutes. It was. Left. It was shortly after. Yeah, it was Wes hit a three, and I think it was the play after Giannis's dunk off the backboard. And Did you just show Brad Stevens? I think, I think Brad out. Stevens went to, you know, that expansion team that Chris Mannix was starting all those years ago. I think Brad Stevens <laughs> was like, yeah, I'll go coach these guys. Um, my goodness. Uh, let's talk about Giannis because I think it, it is worth discussing. I am one of the people that that said I, I didn't think he had that oh, good of a game. Yeah, I was. Oh, and I don't think he played bad. I'm not. I'm not saying you know he wasn't uh, cold. A money sign, money sign, or anything. I'm gonna keep this one clean <laughs> for the kids. Money but, sign? Yeah, it's it's sensor. Just, just, just. It is a dollar sign. You know that we have <laughs> we have different money in other. Oh, countries. that's true. Well, maybe I meant a different. Let's just move on. Um, I, I'm not saying it was a bad Giannis game. I thought it was a fine Giannis game, and he clearly controlled the game and was the best player. Triple double, twenty four points. Yeah, 13 boards, 12 assists, uh, but five turnovers, four personal fouls, two extremely bad personal fouls. I think that plays into Mm -hmm. saying that too. But just, you know, this is the last game this postseason probably where he only makes two shots at the rim, right? Like he just didn't – they played him well. I mean some credit to Boston. Played him really well. Horford did well. The help was good. They were bothering him when he drives. Still though, he was getting to the rim. He wasn't getting any calls, which I think that may also change by game two. He took 11 free throws, which seems fine, but there was a bunch of uncalled contact, especially earlier before the fourth quarter on Giannis. But he was getting to the rim and just the ankles were a little off, wasn't able to get it there. Again, great defense, but you just expect Giannis to make more of those. And I think, you know, if he's shooting at his normal level, shooting is in putting shot in rim. I thought his jumpers were pretty good in this game. Then, you know, he's got 30, 35 points, something like that. And then it is like, the score isn't lying. It does end as a blowout. So it's not that he played bad. I'm not going to say that. But I do think we'll see better Giannis games than this, even though he was an absolute maestro in this game. And clearly, like, his whole presence is an issue for Boston. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah, it's just Maybe. the idea of he could have played better. He could have yeah. played better. In the sense, like, he could have finished more like you were saying, Ty. There were a couple of just dumb decisions, like that foul on Tatum to get his fourth. Yeah, the, the one dumb, on the free throw was dumb. bad, but I kind of got it. The one on Tatum was terrible. Like, what, what are you trying to accomplish there? I know you're going for a steal, obviously, but that's not, it's not going to work at that angle. But, no, I agree with you, Ty. I don't think he played bad by any stretch. No, he was fantastic. It's just there's clear areas in which, like, okay, this could have gone way, way better for you. Like, 9 of 25 shooting is putrid, for Giannis. And just putrid in general. But just especially for a guy with the finishing ability, to be honest. I agree he will play better. He will play better because he will score more points. He will shoot more efficiently. I don't know if we'll see too many more impressive performances. And the reason I say that is, look at how he controlled this game, which one he controlled this game in spite of what we just said. Like he completely and utterly controlled this game. He did it in a way that I don't even know if last season he'd have been capable of doing. So Not for almost all of it. Not for almost all of it. He certainly, finals, we saw a version of him that, yeah, you know, I'm backing uh, like the closeout version of Giannis to probably cope with something similar. But they defended him about as well as anyone has ever defended him. Yep. Genuinely, hats off. You know what? Doesn't matter. Because he's got the Dirk fadeaway jumper. He's stepping into mid-range jump shots about as confidently and as comfortably and with the kind of success that you'd expect of like the best mid-range shooters in the league. It's like you need Chris Middleton out there tonight because Giannis is doing his best Chris Middleton impression at times. His passing was insane. His passing was completely insane. Some of the passes he was pulling off, his vision generally, the way his brain was so many steps ahead of anyone else on the court. I mean, that comes back to his pass to himself off the backboard, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, in some oh, more detail man. too. We got but, some great quotes from that from Drew after the game, by the way. Oh, I haven't seen that. I look forward to that. I I just think this is like, put this up there, frame it. This is the perfect, we've defended Giannis. Look how great we are. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We can't do better. And Giannis completely controlled the game and the books won because now he is such a great passer that it doesn't matter anymore. You're going to, you're going to slow him down. You're going to stop him at the rim. Cool. doesn't matter. He's going to, find his teammates and his teammates are good enough. Unlike if he was a Celtic player 
Uh, he's not passing to Peyton Pritchard. I'm not the. <laughs> I'm not making fun of the Celtics just for the sake of it. I'm being serious. He's not yes. passing to Peyton Pritchard with the guys the books have out there. And the jump shot, the thing that everyone kind of clobbered him over the head with for so long, it's there. It's reliable. Even the free throw shooting, he had one really bad empty trip. Take that out of it. He's six of nine, and that's at a level where we used him to to look at. And he looked confident and comfortable at the line in spite of the fact overall his numbers there aren't the best they can be. He will have better numbers, but for here's the ultimate challenge for you. You know, it's game one, your team's the underdog. It's all on you. And for the opposing teams to defend them the way they did, and for Giannis to just still completely pull all the strings, push the books to victory, like that is the ultimate. This is this is what I talked about before the series. It's like, yeah, if Giannis comes through this series, Giannis gets the books to the finals. Like we've been talking all kinds of things for a long, long time. We've watched him a lot, but this just becomes the Giannis era. Like plain and simple, not just in the book sense. It becomes undeniable. It's like LeBron when LeBron really began to take over the league with the Cavs. It's like Jordan before that. Not everyone, not even the very best players, have that effect yet to have that moment. But you watch Giannis, and it's it's undeniable at the moment. And the results are still there to back him up. And it's like, all those people who picked against Giannis in this series, what are you doing? How are you doing that at this point? It's it's wild. So this, to me, is a game that I will remember for a long time and really sticks out to me as, for, for what I would describe as a great Giannis game. It's not great in terms of the numbers or his production. We know he's done better. We know he has better. But this is everything there that even the very best players in the league, like if you put a game up that's this perfect against them for trying to amplify and force them into what their weaknesses are, they will flounder. Giannis did not flounder at all. Yeah, I think, you know, I, the reason I, I just I expect that he's going to have better games is I think, like, I don't think this was playmaking a playmaking performance that he can't replicate. I just think this is Giannis now. So I think if they defend him the same way, I think we'll see this many dimes going forward. Maybe the number doesn't get as high. Maybe not as many shots go in. But I just think this is this is just where he's at now. Like, I, I think he's going to continue to pass this well. And then the shot making comes back too. And you're really just left without, without any option. And I do want to say quickly, not moving on from Giannis yet, but the, your point about he's not passing to Peyton Pritchard, you know, half of the equation on Giannis being able to pass and, and it being a winning strategy is the role players are really, really good. And to lose Chris Middleton and still go comfortably eight deep. And I think one thing that stood out to me was not a single player for the Bucks was exposed defensively at any point in this game. And that's not something we would have expected a month ago, a year ago, whatever. But Grayson Allen, I don't think Bob I don't think Emi Adoka expected that. I don't know if you saw uh, his pregame quotes of, you know, we expect there to be favorable matchups for us throughout the series. They didn't find them. Where them. were they? they Sorry, my guy. <laughs> you haven't been watching the books either. It seems like you and Al Horford should get in the film room together. <laughs> but all eight of the guys who played, they they were strong on both ends. Wes had a tough three point shooting game. You hope to see that bounce back. But I think everyone made plays. Everybody was reliable. And there's something to that in itself of just like we've never seen a Bucks team that's that comfortably deep. We've never been able to rely on shooting before. That was a little bit scary, right? Like, oh, they need to hit shots or what's going to happen? You know, Giannis is going to be able to pass, but will they hit the shots? 
And, you know, they weren't even like amazing across the board, but you just feel like, yeah, they're going to hit enough shots. I mean, that this unit is ready for this and, and that's what it is. And then you add that to this level of Giannis and that's when you come up, come away with like, what did they even shoot? Uh, what did the Bucks shot? 35%. 35.3%. Yeah. yeah. Giannis shoots nine for 25. The Bucks shoot 12 for 34 from deep. They start the game with a ton of turnovers. They did not turn the ball over more than Boston, but they did turn it over 13 times. And they win comfortably. Uh, and they're better. And they have the best player and they have the best team. So it's a pretty exciting time to be a fan of the Milwaukee Bucks, I think. I think they had seven turnovers in the first six minutes. And then yeah. they had six the rest of the game. So that's pretty good. That's a nice improvement. They just need to calm down and be like, okay, let's go win. The the Giannis dunk, the the self alley oop off the backboard. I tweeted this. It is I put actually I put it in our Eurostep uh, group chat as well. It's immediately like put it up there with the best of his finals work. It's a top three Giannis play of all time for me. Just the way he has to think through that moment. And I just, it's so, so rich with symbolism. It's so rich with all the narratives coming into this series. Just the idea of, oh, Chris is out? No, Giannis doesn't have enough. Giannis, Giannis doesn't have enough to beat the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Boston Celtics. And th- that's a scenario where he literally finds himself on an island for a second. He's like, oh, I've got no pass. What am I going to do? I'll just, I'll just do it myself. I will just do it myself in the most impressive, most emphatic way possible. It is just a top-tier Giannis play. As I said earlier, just for one, the creativity, the imagination, but the execution and what it means. And he even coming back down the court, you could see himself. He enjoyed that one. He was maybe a little bit impressed with it too. But that's also like, that's a play with some real obvious swagger. And it's not necessarily something Giannis would always do in like a game one before, but I think under the circumstances, it was all the more special than just what it was as an amazing basketball play in its own right. Am I a hater? Well, you didn't like it? I thought, no, I, I loved it. I just don't think it's like top five. No, that's that's my personal preference. I don't. Okay. Listen, Giannis has, Giannis has a pretty good back A lot catalog, of times so, before. Yeah, but I. I don't think he's done it in quite this situation. I think in this game, I think the symbolism of it was perfect because it is Giannis. It's so Giannis to be have this impenetrable-ish defense put in front of you. And it's just like he never stops. He finds a way, right? Like he always, he always finds somehow, some way. It's his whole life story is finding somehow, some way to get it done. And, and he will beat he you. On, he'll beat yeah. you on his own if yeah. he has to. He will beat you on his own. Like that's... Oh, you think you're playing the books? No, you're playing you're playing Giannis and the books. And that is that is just an incredibly difficult task for any team. You're you're free Ron, to not think it's anywhere near that. It doesn't have to be in your top 100, but I Why as a mo- as a moment <laughs> I I didn't say it's not in your top 100. It might not be. I don't know. You could tell us. But that for me, I was like, okay, just at the point where He's the best player in the league. They're the champions. Everyone's doubting them. Chris is down. You're on the road in a game one in a series that everyone is saying you're not going to win. And you're in a good position. And how do you like put the hammer down? How do you not let Boston breed? There's a play. Again, they would feel like, oh, done a good job. What's he going to do? Where is he going to go? 
And it just, it epitomizes Giannis. It epitomizes this Bucks team with him as their leader. So I'm, I'm adding tons of context, tons of symbolism, and I'm getting swept up in it because that's, that's the romance of, of a sport that I like. But that's why for me, straight away, like that got a bigger reaction out of me than any play the books have made this season. Not even close. Yeah, I think you're you're higher on it than even I am, but I'm That's closer fine. to you. That's totally fine. Here's just a quote I'm from not people. No one said Ron's, you're Ron's a hater. You're all, all the hater. people are gonna say Ron's a hater. hater. Same way Adam is a Bobby Portis hater. Rohan is a uh, the label Giannis never Yana's hater. Yeah, it's never gonna leak you know yeah. the label, Ron. Here's what Bud said. That's just pure talent, just pure instinct. He's a great player. He does things that are unique and special and timely. That's one of those plays where you're just happy he's on our side. It's got to be the most Bud has said about a single play in quite some time. And then Drew said, I can't do that. I wouldn't even think about trying it. This is all according to Eric's name. And then Drew, according to Eric, continued on about it and told us he might be able to do that self alley-oop on an eight-foot hoop. What about Brooke mic'd up? Saying, put that on film, put that on film. Was he talking to the Celtics, who clearly haven't been watching the film? Was that? (laughs) I mean, maybe. I think he was, right? It seemed that way. It sure did. Uh, Rohan, what should we talk about next from this game? Um, Let's talk about the role players. Yeah, I know we touched on them, uh, but just incredible performances all around. Like Javon Carter, incredible. Grayson Mm -hmm. Allen, incredible. Also, I didn't tweet this out. I don't know why I did. Grayson Allen picking up guys full court is one of the funniest things I've ever seen on a basketball court, ever. Because, one, why? I mean, I understand why. Javon's influence. Yeah, just – it's not just – that's just the game plan. They just full court press the entire game now. That's just what the Bucs do. I think think especially against this matchup because they don't don't respect Boston's ball handlers, and I probably wouldn't either. There's no Chris Paul on the other side. It's just so funny seeing Grayson Allen fighting for his life on every single time. Every single time someone brings the ball up the court, you can just see the frenzy in his eyes, like the concentration on his face. It is hilarious, but he also did a great job. He did not get lost. He did not get beat. He was disciplined. He was stout, and he did a great job. So I think not just Grayson Allen, but Javon Carter, Pat Condison, Wes Matthews is incredible on the defensive end. The way he was able to lock up Tatum at points was just ooh, good luck for any NBA player that has to go up against a locked-in Wes Matthews. But just all around, they were all firing on all cylinders, offensively, defensively. You couldn't have asked for a better performance from the rest of the guys. The Celtics fans haven't been paying attention either. They haven't been watching film because they booed Grayson when he came into the game. So silly. Like, if you're paying attention, uh, I think opposing teams have got to start giving Grayson a standing ovation when he comes into the game and just just see how he reacts. He does a troll. Anywhere would be Boston. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Rohan's on fire. Um, I thought Grayson. I thought Grayson and Pat defensively had some of their best games I've ever seen. Pat drew two different offensive fouls. Just really defended quite well the whole game. Did end up with eight fouls, but um, of his own. But also two for four from deep, three for six from the field. Grayson, three for six from deep, four for eight. Did from you say the field. he had eight fouls? Yeah, I, I thought you said oh, that too. Four. Sorry. He had eight points. I must have gotten next. I would be really impressed, impressed if he got eight fouls. No, only Devin Booker can do that. That's true. Uh, but it was a really, really strong. That would be the hometown whistle. That would if he got eight fouls. <laughs> That's true. But I, I thought it was cool, though, that we think all the role, we agree that all the role players played well. 
But nobody shot unseasonably well. Nobody on the Bucks shot above 50% from three except for Drew Holiday, who was three for five. Drew was tremendous, I thought, all game two. His twos weren't falling. He ends up shooting eight for 20. But I thought it was a really good locked-in Drew game. He got whistled for some awful fouls. Like, he's literally moving his feet, staying in front of a guy. And I think two different times he got fouled for that, which I, I thought pretty Boston-friendly whistle all along. Although they let they let the players play for long stretches of the game, which definitely played into the Bucks' hands because they're clearly the more physical team. But Bobby Portis, two for seven from deep, still found ways to contribute, still grabbed 11 rebounds. One of four Bucks who grabbed at least 10 rebounds in this game. Um, I just thought it was great. I thought everyone showed up. Everyone did what they had to do. And it doesn't feel like really anybody outside of, I guess, Drew hitting. I mean, it's not even – it's three for five. It's not a crazy game. I didn't the, think the, out, the outlier shooting game tie is is West one of six from deep because that's not going to happen again. He'll shoot better, yeah, or less, <laughs> but hopefully better. He did try to not shoot a couple of times. Though. It was bad. Yes, he needs to keep he did, shooting. Really. He needs to keep shooting unless he can get all the way to the rim. If he can get to the rim, he's actually had some good takes, but he needs to stop with these like in between too many side steps, like shoot, drive, or pass. He's, a, he's become really fond of the sidestep. And you're like, why? Just catch and shoot, my guy. Just yeah. like you're in the corner. Giannis has put one out to you. You're completely wide open. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to wait a second and then sidestep. It's okay. Why? <laughs> so, I mean, if, if on that, we, we want to talk about some of the things. Grayson actually early and maybe Pat as well, like late first quarter into the second quarter, kind of when all those guys were in the game for, well, not Wes, obviously, but when the other two were in the game for the first time, there was a little bit more hesitation from role players on letting fly. And if you just get rid of that from the jump, like the books are going to be all the better for it. Uh, the, The one thing that for me, I think is a concern is the lack of ball handling. We knew this was going to be something with Chris out. When Drew in the first quarter, second quarter, somewhere around that, when he had to go to the bench because of some pretty uh, dubious foul trouble, it got ugly because you're getting Grayson take the ball up, you're getting Javon Carter, and it didn't look comfortable at all. The books clearly didn't want Giannis to be um, walled off and the possessions kind of going dead from the jump. They wanted to get him the ball in motion more than anything, and that over the course of the game I think worked pretty well. It allowed him to make a lot of his passes, if nothing else. But it's something that they'll have to be very, very careful with. And honestly, not that we know exactly how far away George Hill is, but if George was to come back, Bucks wouldn't need him to do much more other than give solid defense and you know some steady ball handling if needed, if Drew is off the floor. That would be a big boost, a big, big boost. Because otherwise, out of those kind of guys, I was looking at, I was thinking, I don't know, like maybe I'd tr- trust Pat most to bring the ball up the floor in some of those moments. That's not a great spot. But the one thing with this series, and uh, I think it was you, Ron, who touched on it a couple of minutes ago, like that's reflective of the Celtics too. The Celtics do not have traditional lead ball handlers, they do not have point guards. And that puts them in a tough spot as well. And they're kind of there throughout the game where the books at least are only there if Drew has to come off the floor. I do think there was one possession that illustrated what they could do in those spots. And I trust Javon to bring the ball up the floor. I just think it's executing too much offense after that is what you don't want. But they they did a play, I want to say it was the third quarter, but it might have been the second quarter. It was Drew, but it didn't have to be Drew. So Drew brings the ball up. 
and then it flows to Grayson, who's cutting through the middle of the floor up to the top of the key, and then it immediately flowed, flewed, flowed. I think flow, flowed, flew. <laughs> Definitely into, not flewed. Flewed, and then it flewed into Brooke setting a screen. So it was like a Grayson Brooke pick and roll, which I always like. They should use more of those anyway to get Brooke rolling, because especially against Boston, nobody is getting up there with him, and. It didn't really work that well, but then it was like a kick out to Drew who was then working with an advantage. Like more stuff like that, I think, could help you get through. I mean, again, it's like three minutes, if that, less. Like you just need a couple good plays, generate a couple good shots. I, I would like to see, though, more of like Grayson Brook pick and roll if, if Drew is off the floor and Giannis is either also off the floor or just kind of resting and, you know, you don't want to go to him every single possession. I think that's that intrigues me a little bit. And it's just asking less if it's pick and roll versus, you know, break down a defense by yourself or, or whatever else it may be. But, yeah, I do think that's – if you're looking at things that we didn't love, just the non-Yannis minutes in general were bad. The Bucks got outscored by a lot. Drew making more of those twos would help. But I think they're going to need to find some more comfortable stuff that they can go to just to generate okay offense in, in those spots. Love the defense again kind of saved the day and, and they were good enough the last 337 of the third quarter when Giannis exited with the foul trouble they won those three and a half minutes so again that was great without Giannis but on the whole they were they were not all that good without him I think when when Giannis is off the court as well there is room to make either both or either or of Brooke and Bobby more featured parts of your offense too particularly with the Celtics being out there with your two bigs make them work because they're they're focusing on having those kind of guys out there for very different reasons. The focus is Giannis, you know, in a matchup sense. Obviously, it's core to what they've been doing all year. But with Brooke and Bobby and what they can do offensively, I, I think there is some joy to be had for the books there if they're prepared to lean into that and exploit it. Particularly, I, I really do think this is this has all the potential to be a big Bobby series. And this was a solid game without him doing a whole lot. I mean, six of six of twelve from the field, fifteen points, eleven rebounds. That's great. Two of seven from deep. That really is on the low end for Bobby. And I think over the course of the series, he could make the Celtics pay in some of these games. He could single-handedly be a guy who drives the books to some wins or maybe some big wins even. So the way that the books use Bobby and Brooke offensively, I do think that's going to be something interesting to watch as the the series goes on. We know Bobby's always going to shoot. He's going to go out there. He's going to take some shots. I need Brooke to take more shots, man. Like, there were a lot of times when they were just switching guards on him. Abuse that. Like, take advantage of that. Take advantage of any mismatch that you have. So just, I don't know. They they just need to let him mash more. I agree. The most frustrating game of the play of the game for me was when Pat, I think it was they got fast PP switched on to Brooke. And it looked like Pat was going to get that. They got who's? Pat, Peyton Pritchard. We've been over this. They call him <laughs> Fast PP. I'm going to use it to denigrate him as long as possible. It's, Celtics fans enabled this to happen. If you want to call a guy Fast PP in all seriousness, that's on you. So this is like, is this like weird Celtics Twitter thing? Or I is think this, so. Okay, well, because you said they call him. I thought like... Yudoka starting off like post-game interviews being like, you know, great game from Fast PP. <laughs> so this is more of a Twitter thing. Yeah, well, I don't know. Now we'll have to do some digging to see if... I, mean, I don't like, know if we do. Does it require Celtics digging? blog refers to him as Fast PP. I feel like that's relatively mainstream for Celtics media. Sure. Wow. 
Anyway, Fast PP was trying to guard Brooke Lopez in the post. And Pat was, like, going to get the ball to him. And he had Smart on him then. And he just, like, did a really dumb, like, leading into him, let Smart flop. And, of course, Doris Burke is like, look at the tenacity. This is why he was defensive. Yeah, because he falls over tactically. That's why he was defensive player of the year. And she, she added that. She went to – she was describing all the elements. And she's like, and he sells the contact at the end. I'm like, that's all he pretty did. sure that's not key to being defensive player of the year. Adam Silver, fix it. Fix it. But anyway, um, but Pat, fast, Pat fast PPB, fast PP though, uh, minus 17 at 11 minutes. Yeah, he took four he, of their first five them. shots, and it was at the third quarter, at all three. So all it was of the them. fourth quarter. <laughs> Why is a guy who played 11 minutes in the game getting four shots to start the fourth quarter? Celtics were shipping water quick with fast <laughs> PP out there. <laughs> um, but. But no, Brooke, Brooke had him on him, and they, they just didn't get him the ball in time. And it, it does. It, it's like that should be two easy points, right? And it's just like it, that needs to be more of an emphasis for sure, especially if they do at some point scale down the starting five or just the rotation minutes in general. And it's like if Horford is your, the Celtics' lone true big and he's guarding Giannis and you have Brooke out there, well, it's time to get Brooke involved, man, because nobody else on that team, if Robert Williams is not on the floor – is going to hang with him in the paint. Like, no shot. I don't care how scrappy Marcus Smart is. who probably wouldn't be on him in that situation anyway. Like, Brooke is just going to say, okay, and do that little push thing right over his head. Like, he doesn't need to knock a guy over. If he gets that clear look at the basket, that's easy for Brooke. So I agree, Rohan. I would like to see more Brooke. And I know Adam agrees with this too. And more Bobby, who I did think there were some big shots Bobby hit despite not having a great all-around game, some big moments where – you know, his ability to just hit a shot over anybody is really nice for the Bucks, and it can be a really nice valve for them. And, you know, the three in transition was great. He had a couple of twos earlier that just felt like nice, important shots just to kind of dead in a run a little bit, right? Like, doesn't even need to get an advantage. He just makes a shot, and then there goes your run if you're the Celtics. I agree. I I mean I I just think Brooke is an interesting swing piece in the series because of what the Celtics are doing and what their adjustments may be or how they feel like they may have to change it up. They're in a tough spot. I I'm really curious to see how, like, if we just take okay the shoulder element. We all saw Marcus Smart dislocated his shoulder. Pop back in. He comes out and he plays. That's fine with a lot of adrenaline. I wonder how that feels tomorrow. I wonder how that feels on Tuesday. I wonder how he is for the rest of the series. Because even we saw him come out and play, and he was playing like Marcus Smart. Until then, he was getting a little physical, and you could see it bothering him again. Well, yeah, he had to come out of the game. He was on the exercise bike for a while, because he has some quad and knee stuff, too, he's dealing with. Like, that's, again, a player like... If his versatility isn't there defensively to allow the Celtics to make this weird, they they can't just kind of match up kind of like for like with the books and get the better of this. And also, I don't know what you guys thought. I was a little bit surprised. And it's not even something I think we really talked about. I mean, it's not like it was off the table. But Giannis and Jalen being the matchup on both sides of the ball, I thought was interesting. Um, particularly from a Celtics perspective, that they're like, yeah, Jalen, we know your hamstrings have been a problem and you're kind of like doubtful to even be playing in the series, but you've got the Giannis assignment. That's interesting. He's also, he also wasn't the guy that 
just I would have put there is going to bother Giannis the most. So to to come out of the gate and be like, oh really? They're they're giving Jalen Brown all this time on Giannis. I thought it was quite a decision. I think it was a decision Giannis liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but th- but that's even with the passing, saying- right? When we talked mm-hmm. about, it's like Jalen Brown isn't big enough to even cut off some of those angles. Like Giannis was having a lot of fun with the passes over the head. Uh, he had one of the most ridiculous passes I've ever seen him make, which was when he was on the way up to the rim and he was like, oh no, I'm about to lose the ball here. And he just kind of caught it and flung it round himself. And I think it was Paddy found with it. And he's like, what? <laughs> how, is, how is that even possible? That's not a pass that anyone else in the league is making. Like we, everyone talks so much about the type of passes Jokic makes. Jokic is never moving at the speed Giannis is with his limbs extended where you have to worry about how do I find some control and wrap this pass around. So was the was the image of Jokic moving like Giannis <laughs> the Duffy Rohan? Um, <laughs> but like their passes that literally no other player in the league can make or even has to worry about trying to make. But that's where I, I think Brown is an interesting choice there because even if he does what you want him to do to stop Giannis from scoring, or if he does it with the assistance of help, you're not cutting off any of the passing options for Giannis by having a smaller guy on him. Yeah. You just, I don't know. It's a very, very sound analysis. I, I, I agree. On the Celtics injury front, I was worried that they had lost time load for the rest of the series, but thankfully it appears that it was just a, uh, some damage to the the family jewels there. Yeah, that's what I thought it serious. was in the moments for sure. Well, I I was worried it was like an abdominal thing, like you know they can whatever George Hill is dealing with. But then when he was back, those in, are back spasms. <laughs> what is George Hill dealing that's with? A good, well, it's that's a great question. I, is it his neck? Thing. Is 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 it abdominal? Is it I was back say, spasms? Don't go, don't go neck back. That's dangerous. Rohan's going to get involved. That's a dangerous <laughs> terminology to go to. Um, I guess so. Any last thoughts about this game? I mean, obviously it was a great start. I still I expect a much better performance from Boston game two, but I don't know how Do strongly Do I we? expect it. Yeah, I yeah, expect the books a... to be better. Uh, yeah, that's... same. But you also expect the Celtics to be better, or no? I think the Celtics. I think the Celtics will be a bit the same. Like I, this is not a bit. I'm not looking to slander them until Jason Tatum proves otherwise. I, I expect the Celtics to be the same. Like if the Celtics are to be better, if the Celtics are beat to beat the books in this series, it's all there for them. They can do it. Everyone says they can do it. I don't think they, it's there for them. Well, it's there for them in terms of Middleton is out. Like it's, oh, it's there yeah. for them as much as it's ever going to be. Okay, so this is their best opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. never going to get a chance like this in Giannis's prime years. It's like you're building a team. You're in the Eastern conference. This is the situation you're dreaming of. Like that goes for the Celtics. That goes for the heat. And that goes for the Sixers. Oh, like, I think it goes for the Celtics most because those two teams are also beat to hell. That's I mean, true. If you're the Celtics, you come into this series, uh, Lowry's not playing, Jimmy's beat up, and Bead is out for at least half of that series with a broken face, somehow potentially coming back for game three, which is insanity. And Chris Middleton is out. Like, this is the prime Celtics opportunity right now. It's not a great start to that opportunity. But even, even with that, if you look at Jalen's obviously playing hurt, I mean... Yeah, we'll do the whole cliche that this time of year, everyone's got some kind of injury. But Jalen's carrying something a little bit more than most guys, I think. Yeah. And then you have the damage that Marcus Smart and Robert Williams took in this game. Like, the Celtics might be too far behind some of those other teams soon enough. 
but you come into this series and your opportunity is there. Jason Tatum is your best player. I'm just going to keep saying it. He's got to go and do the thing. If he can't do it, Celtics have no chance. And that's not even, it's not a reflection on the construction of the roster, a whole bunch of things. Like this is, we've been through this with Giannis. When Giannis had achieved much more and the demands on him to deliver and the scrutiny he was under was colossal. I don't feel like that's the same on Tatum. We can have the conversation at another time about why that is. Uh, I've got some theories, but it's just, it's got to be about him. The same way as the Bucs were never going to become NBA champions unless Giannis all of a sudden went, yeah, I'm grabbing this with both hands. I'm I'm closing out with a 50-piece if that's what it takes. The Celtics aren't going to do it either. They're not going to get past the Bucs if you don't have Jason Tatum do that. So that's that's what I'm waiting for. And honestly, right now, even if he did that, I was going to say, I don't know if it's he's going to need anyway. the support. He's, he's yeah. going to need Jayon Brown to look a lot healthier. He's going to need Smart to be healthy and have some of his weird outlier games that maybe aren't even outliers against the books because he seems to do it all the time. But they they kind of need everything. They need to throw everything at the books. And there was a lot of assumption that they would get that. And they didn't in game one. So they have to in game two. Again, if they lose, you're in an 0-2 hole and you're going to face the defending champions on their own floor. Like, it's it's time to step up. If you're real, the Celtics have got to do it right now. And I don't know. They need, they need to prove that. Again, I'm not trying to... This is not a bit. I've been very dismissive of a lot of Bucks opponents over the years. I'm not really doing that with the Celtics. It's just a case of, okay, well, maybe they are as great as everyone says. This is when you prove it. So you've got to go and do it. They did in the game one. The real question is, is uh, if they're down 0-2, going back to the five serve, is Ty going to be at any of the games? That's no, the Ty's never allowed at a books playoff game again. I'm sorry, Ty. What? But I think that's these are the rules. I think I can go in the third round. It worked out really well last time. They lost that game. And then what happened? That's they won not working out well. <laughs> I think if I go to one playoff game and they win a championship, that's pretty good. I think we'll take that. And also to your point, Adam, I think the Celtics do have plenty of time. I mean, Tatum's only 19. They got plenty of time. Yeah, that's why he's not seeing this criticism. You never expect this much from a 19-year-old. No, I I think – I do think the Celtics need to figure out a lot of really tough questions, and I don't know what the answers are going to be for them. I I think something that was underrated in general is just like outside of Tatum, there's really just not enough offensive firepower here to go toe-to-toe with a team like the Bucs. And obviously Jalen being much better helps. But even after that, it's like – then it's either Horford or Smart is their third best offensive player. Okay. I mean, that's not ideal, I think, especially against a defense like Milwaukee. Particularly when your six, seventh, and eight guys look like they do. It's like, yeah. you, it's not like you've got this consistent level, which is what the books have. They, the books actually have the top end talent and they have the next wave of guys playing to a level. So they yeah. don't have it. And I, I don't, again, it's. We're not talking brooms or anything like that here. It's game one. It's very early mm-hmm. in the series. And I think we're going to see better from Boston. But, you know, it, it gets real dicey here if they can't win game two. And I do expect the Bucks are all business now. And them starting a series like this is huge. This is not something that we're used to seeing or we expected. You know, we talked in our last wow. pregame. No, well, we talked in our last pregame pod. Well, one of, one of us expected this. Well, fair. Yeah, it's okay. Check out the bold predictions video on YouTube. Yeah, we're over 700 subs now, 300-ish more until we can secure the bag on YouTube. 
But um, you, you did. I, I'll give you credit. But the, it was always the thing, right? The Bucks adjust well. So if the series starts out well for the Celtics, that's fine. The Bucks will figure it out. They always do. If it starts well for the Bucks, good luck. You know, I, I I wouldn't expect them to take the foot off the pedal. I think this is serious. I don't think they're saying, oh, we stole one in Boston. Now we can go back to Milwaukee and just win the home games. I think the Bucks are going to come out here and say, we're not done winning in Boston. And whether they get that win or not remains to be seen. But I, I think the Celtics are going to have to win it. I don't think the Bucks are going to have, you know, I, maybe I'm just thinking along these lines, watching Memphis and Minnesota be unserious back and forth for a whole series. But I don't think the Bucs are just going to be like, okay, we got our one win in Boston. Like this, it, the Celtics are going to have to go out and just play way better. And, you know, that might not even be enough if they do it. No, the Bucs are sickos. The Bucs are sickos. They're going to, they want to win everything. Yeah. One other under, under discussed or maybe even undiscussed thing going into the series, because again, it's fueled by perceptions that are just kind of outdated at this point. It's the coaching. This is, you know, because like a playoff series as a head coach. It's like, oh, you can point to his pedigree all you want. Guess whose pedigree that also is? <laughs> it, it's Bud's. And look at how long it took for Bud to figure a lot of that stuff out. Like, it's not easy. And it's not a case of even the best assistants. They just go in, they figure it out, they're in a good job. And, oh, look, I've won a championship. It doesn't always work like that. There is something to head coaches picking up experience guys going through kind of the wars year in year out with their coach having a level of trust then having the the kind of relationships where internally the coach can be pulled up on things he can pick out like the books are just so far along down that road one thing that espn or abc i should say in this case um highlighted early in the game was but absolutely chewing drew out in the the first quarter it's like that's that is kind of just an example of the place the books are at they're they're in a position where the relationship between players and coach are so well established the level of trust the level of understanding they've seen it all go as well as it can be and they've seen it all go just about as as poorly as it can be in the bubble like this is part of the head coaching journey it's part of picking up your experience and getting to the place where you really are among the very very best in the league but is but is there it's like there's still this desire for people to be like, oh, Bud. It's like, yeah, Bud's got himself a ring and he might be about to get himself a second ring under more difficult circumstances. So this is a series where Imi Udoka is a really, really good coach. I have full confidence he'll be one of the best coaches in the NBA for a long time. He hasn't been around this block in that chair, feeling the pressure like he's going to feel it right now. Bud has. Look at Bud's hairline. Bud has felt a lot of pressure in recent years. Bud's hair is getting away from him today. I was like, oh, God. The books have really, they've really done it to Bud. Uh, but as I said, Bud has got the hardware in exchange for that. So it's a, it's a deal that I'm sure he's pretty happy with. That was a bar. That entire thing was just a bar. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, Ty, Ty, you're, Ty, muted. Ty you're muted. Thanks, guys. I do think it was a Bud Masterclass. Like, I don't think there's much that you could point out that I didn't really agree with. Um, and I think just all along, the rotation has been great. You know, I, we're not seeing like this dalliance with, oh, let's try out Jordan War. Let's get Serge Ibaka some minutes. No, like the guys who have played well consistently all year are playing. The other guys are not playing to start a series. And that's, you know, we've looked for this before and not seen it. It helps, I think, that they're deeper. But I remember this kind of foe to not foe concern of, are they too deep? Is this going to be bad? No, it turns out it's good. It turns out Bud just wants to have eight guys who can play 
And when he does, he will play those eight guys, and that's that. He's not going to play 11 guys because he has eight good guys and three guys who are good sometimes. He's just going to play the good ones, and it turns out that that works out pretty well for the Bucks. And if you lose Chris Middleton and George Hill, you've still got eight good guys. Crazy is, roster. Insane Which is roster. what the Celtics, for example, do not have, is they don't have the eight guys without the injury problems. Like, to, to have lost an all-star, like, an all-star starter, not a starter in the all-star game. Starter for the books, who happens to be an all-star. Yeah, although, not, whether, not he, Andrew, whether he deserves the... Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and George Hill, a player who, like, could easily. I don't, don't think his play is necessarily matched up to it this year, but based on the function he fits, the style of player he is, like, he's six-man type material still for Bud when he's healthy. He could be a starter in this league. Easily. Mm. Uh, I, if he was on the Boston Celtics, no, they might be forced into some adjustments where they'd be looking. When we talk about the lack of options they have in their backcourt, it's I think like, he would be their sixth man. I do not think he would start for any team, man. Is that I'm because saying, of age or because of ability? Ability. I'm saying he would be their sixth man, but going into the next game, or the game after that, if you need to change things up from your Horford, Robert Williams front court, and you need to go a little bit smaller, like, oh, he'd be in with a chance of starting, and you'd feel good about it. It's like, we've we felt good at different times. I don't know if this year we'd feel good about it because the books have better options. But in his previous stint, absolutely, George got plenty of starts. Oh, yeah. And you would have felt good about it at any point. Like, that's the level of player he is. It, it does speak to the book steps, which it's holding up unbelievably well. And that's without even Luca properly working his way into the rotation yet. So, stop. He's ruining Luca with us. I don't know what he thinks he is, sir. He's like doing like like Jokic level stuff, except the results sweeping are sweeping hooks and just I, I don't know. Someone needs to just hand Serge a note and be like, <laughs> a note that reads "It's Luca time," you know, in, in those minutes, <laughs> so he gets the message. It's it's tough. It yeah, is. So. It is tough indeed. I think we're not getting good, though. Yeah, we're not getting prime Thanasis time though. There's still that. five. We got a minute 12 with the Gnosis in the series, all right? That's pretty good. That's Wasn't Ty talking about like a 50, yeah, 55 second the over, over under? Really there early. you go. The overcast really early on that one. Just like the the over on Jordan's ball prediction, tough for him, but the Bucks did score 101 points. Well, so. we'll see. Maybe he, can, uh, maybe he can at least hit on Celtics not hitting 100 points. That, that would still Ooh. feel good, I think. Ooh. I think that would feel pretty good, all right? I think my bold prediction is aging like milk because – I just don't think the series is going to change enough for there to be a ch- defining change to be made. Rohan, why are you confused? Milk ages badly. It sours yep, but- in like three days. I think it's the way you said yeah. milk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cut me off guard too. Of milk. <laughs> We've been over this a couple of times on the pod. I'm pretty pretty sure. Yeah, we have. I just like to point it out every time. Fair. Uh, <laughs> my prediction of Marcus Smart getting exposed, unfortunately, might not happen because he unfortunately might be hurt. But yeah. who knows? Uh, get well soon, Marcus. Uh, but just overall, I think we all are feeling pretty good about this series, right? Yeah. After game one. Well, I don't feel good about my Bucks and Six prediction, but it's it's for a good reason. So. Yeah. Might be. What do you want to update your prediction? No, not yet. No. I'm not also yet. Bucks and Six, not feeling great about it, but let's. I said seven. Let's, well. I would update that at least a game. Yeah. But... Okay, I'll change it to six for now. 
It's for the culture. Yep, it's for the culture always. Shout out to Ty for getting that clip. Shout out to Brandon Uh, Jennings, who was the real motor behind that one. Shout out to to Ty. I was giving you some credit. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. A humble man said no one about Ty Winder. That's very true. (laughs) Um, And on that note, let's wrap this up. Say thank you for listening to this episode here on the Eurostep Podcast Network. If you did enjoy, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform. Leave a five-star rating on your podcast platform. Subscribe to the YouTube. Subscribe to the Substack. Subscribe to the YouTube again on different accounts. You know, again, we're trying to hit hit 1,000 subscribers. Uh, Yeah, leave a like. I I don't think I've said that. Hit the the bell. You know what's crazy in our advanced analytics? People have hit the bell for us, the notification bell on our YouTube. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's go. Keep hitting those bells, Hit the bell. It makes us feel good. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Thanks. This fell off the rails. Uh, GSPanStore.com if you want to celebrate with some books merch, uh, some Brewers merch either. A lot of you have a special shout out because our our opening launch sale did just wrap up last night. Massive, massive thanks to all of you who uh, were quick out of the gate when we launched the store and have been rushing to support us it's great to uh it's great to see the take about it but it's been even better to see like pictures from from books games from books watch parties from brewers games like getting in the stadiums in the arenas with people repping our podcasts it's very very cool so yeah continue to do that if you haven't picked something up yet gspnstore.com if you have may is a new month there may well be some new designs coming in the the weeks ahead so keep an eye out there's uh there's some good stuff coming yeah, make sure checking ah, check that out, gspnstore.com. It's great stuff. It is great stuff. And I will say there might be some fun stuff, like you said, Adam. And uh mm. I'm not gonna say much more. I'm not gonna say. Again, this really fell off the rails. Good uh pod random bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.